0: The undulating wood slopes down to the rhythm of mountain streams. To me, this rhythm is revealing you the eternal word. How amazing is your silence in everything, and all that on every side unveils the world of creation about us. All that, like the undulating wood, runs down every slope. All that is carried along by the stream's silvery cascade rhythmically falling from the mountain, carried by its own current, carried where? This is Father John Arnold of St. Mark's Parish, and this is Oro Valley Catholic. I just read to you the poetry of John Paul II, St. John Paul, and it was his book of poetry called The Roman Triptych. And it's a book where he wonders about the source of nature, Like walking up a mountain stream and he loved nature, looking for its source. Everything that we encounter in this world, from marriage, family, the beauty of creation, especially here in Oro Valley, points back to a source. The Gospels today are very much about this reality of the source of all things. The difference between the creator and the created. I just bought a book by Dr. Peter Kreeft. I always recommend Dr. Kreeft because he's a very good writer and a wonderful thinker. And the book is called Jesus Shock. Often when I'm just checking out books that I don't know that I'll hang on to because of uh, you know just the limited space I have, I like to buy used versions, partly because they're a lot less expensive. But also I kind of find interesting the comments that people make in their books. So Jesus Shock is a book that's written about conversion, and it starts out with a list of questions. This used copy has answers from an unnamed woman to her questions that were asked by Dr. Kreef. I want you to listen to these questions and her answers because I think they're interesting. Here's the first question, which is on page two of the book. Dr. Kreeft asks, who are the three most important people alive in the world today? And here was her honest answer. My husband, Oprah, the Pope. Here's the second question. Name the person you turn to first for advice and help when you have problems in each of the following areas of your life. He asks, mental health? She responds, Nina. He asks marriage. She responds, Eddie. He asks money. She responds, Eddie. She respo- asks sex. She responds, Eddie, which is good. Then she, he asks family. Once again, the response is Eddie. And then work and career. She responds, predictably, Eddie. Sounds like Eddie's got a lot on him. Finally, There's uh, questions, two questions at the end. And he says these questions are to pull it all together. And here are the last two questions Dr. Kreeft asks. What was the last command of the last apostle? And the second question, what is the most frequently disobeyed commandment? And her answer, an ominous blank, nothing. If John the Baptist's question is, are you the one I'm looking for? Let's consider in scripture how that question is answered. It's usually answered with this phrase. Here is your God, O Israel. And here's the first example. The Jewish people are appalled by idols. Why are they appalled by idol worship? That is, worshiping created things as opposed to the creator. It's because they have a history of idol worship. They are just taught that uh, all human beings are drawn to idols, and so you have to guard against it. That's why worshiping a person is an idol, whether it's Eddie, Oprah, the Pope, that they become the most important person in your life. It's idol worship. Why is it that you cannot worship Jesus if you think about God like a Jewish person thinks about God? Here's the story that's at the heart of it. And it comes to us from uh, the book of Exodus. And so I'm quoting from Exodus, and it's Exodus chapter 34, verses one to six. The setting, Moses is up on Mount Sinai talking to God. He's getting the tablets of the law. He's walking down with Joshua, and he hears a party going on in the camp. Here's what the scriptures in Exodus say. When the people saw that Moses was delayed in coming down from the mountain, they gathered around Aaron and said to him, Come, make us a God who will go before us. As for that man Moses who brought us out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has happened to him. Aaron replied, Take off the golden earrings that your wives, your sons, and your daughters are wearing and bring them to me. So all the people took off their earrings and brought them to Aaron. He received their offering and, fashioning it with a tool, made a molten calf. Then they all cried out, These are your gods, Israel, who brought you up from the land of Egypt. On seeing this, Aaron built an altar in front of the calf and proclaimed, Tomorrow is a feast of the Lord. Early the next day the people sacrificed burnt offerings and brought communion sacrifices. Then they sat down to eat and drink and rose up to revel. That's Exodus 34. Gosh, Moses, you can pick your God, but you can't pick your family. Aaron, Moses' brother, I should say his 'er ne'er-do-well brother, can hardly wait for his poor brother Moses to go up the mountain before he's got the people heading in the wrong direction. Do you remember what Moses does in response to the worship of this golden calf? Remember, it's gold because money is worshipped. A bull, a calf, is powerful because power is worshipped. And a bull is about sex, and sex is worshipped, always at the core of idol worship, money, sex, and power. Moses takes the golden calf, grounds it up, mix it with water, and he makes the people eat their idol. Why? Well, they sat down to have communion with their idol. And so he gave them communion. He gave them their God to eat. Well, Jesus gives us a God to eat too, doesn't he? Because this story is reminding us of who Jesus is and what he does for us. So what they wanted in the camp at the bottom of the mountain of Mount Sinai was a God who was with them. Moses was God. No evidence that God was around. Uh, Blaise Pascal, the famous uh, uh polymath from the 17th century said that the problem with being a human being is we can't sit in our room uh, without causing mischief. We just can't be left alone. But a thousand years later, after Moses, there's a great prophet Isaiah, chapter 35, which is the first reading today. And he talks about the one who is to come. And he talks about how This one is going to make the world bloom. Eden's going to come back. And then in verses 1 to 6, he says, Here is your God. He comes with vindication, with divine recompense. He comes to save you. Then will the eyes of the blind be opened, the ears of the deaf be cleared. Then will the lame leap like a stag. Then the tongue of the mute will sing. And so... What is the presence of God amongst you? Because this is how Jesus answers John the Baptist's question. Are you the one? Jesus gives him a resume. He points to everything that he has done. And so what if you were to listen to Isaiah chapter 35? Is the one who is to come. The one who is something more than just the Messiah. What was he supposed to do? Well, I said, Jesus gave him a resume, a laundry list of everything Jesus does in the Gospel of Matthew. And so Jesus says to John the Baptist's messengers, go and tell John what you hear and see. One, the blind regain their sight. Two, the lame walk. Three, lepers are cleansed. Four, the deaf hear. Five, the dead are raised. And six, the poor have the good news proclaimed to them. And blessed is the one who who takes no offense at me. So when he points to what he does, why does he say, blessed is the one who takes no offense at me? Let's go back to the Old Testament again. So Jesus says, as part of his resume, the blind see, the deaf hear, the lame walk, and the the lepers are cleansed. Who can make people see, hear, and the the lame walk, and lepers are cleansed? I mean, we're used to medical science can accomplish some of these things. But if they could do everything, there'd be no deaf blind people, there'd be lame people and all leprosy would end in good health. It just doesn't. You know, in 2 Kings chapter 5, you'll remember there's a story about Naaman, the Syrian general, who becomes a leper and his slave girl, a captured Israelite, says, well, if you go to Israel, there are people there that can cure leprosy. So Naaman takes his army down, visits the king of Israel, who pawns him up on Elijah the prophet. So he goes to Elijah the prophet. Remember, he lives in this little shack out on the edge of Samaria. And Naaman pounds on the door and says, Elijah, heal me from leprosy. And here's what Elijah says. Am I God that I can heal a man with leprosy? That's in 2 Kings chapter 5, verse 7 because the recognition amongst the Old Testament people is there certain kinds of things that only God can do. So if you remember, Elisha sends Naaman down to the River Jordan to dip in seven times because those are the seven the days of the week that's created by God. It's a recognized recognition of God the creator who gave us the seventh days and Naaman's healed. But how about the dead are raised? Well, look at, if you have a chance, look at Isaiah chapter 26, verses 8 to 19. And in there is again the story about the one who is to come. And Isaiah is is mocking people that they're trying to replace God in the world. So here's how he describes human beings' attempt to replace God in the world, and then who God is, what God can do that human beings can't do. So he says we conceived and writhed in pain, giving birth only to wind. Now that's kind of a gutsy thing to say. We tried really hard. We came up with an idea. We put all this effort into it and, and it's like passing gas. Salvation, however, we have not achieved for the earth. No inhabitants for the world were born. But here's the money line. But your dead shall live, Their corpses shall rise, awake and sing, you who live in the dust, for your dew is a dew of light and you cause the land of shades to give birth. Only God has power over death. Jesus raises the little girl, remember, Tabitha? Talitha, cool says to her, and she wakes up and lives. He raises the son of the widow of Nain, who's bearing her only son, he has pity on her and he brings him back to life. He raises Lazarus from the dead. But the key here is, they rise from the dead, but they're not members here at St. Mark with envelopes, right? Because they died again. But when Jesus rises from the dead, it's something more than revivification, something more than just bringing a corpse back to life. He releases them from the world of shades into the world of God, and that's what the resurrection is. And then here's the next uh, part. When Jesus says, and the poor of the good news preached to them. We're going to get this, I think, next month in January. But when Jesus starts out his ministry, he is announcing what the presence of God looks like amongst people. And so he reads from Isaiah 61. How important is Isaiah in Advent and in understanding why Jesus is the Son of God? Here's Isaiah 61. The spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me. He has sent me to bring good news to the afflicted, to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, release to the prisoners, to announce a year of favor from the Lord and a day of vindication by our God, to comfort all who mourn. What Jesus is doing in his response, he's, he's saying, hear the prophecies, Here they've come true because that's what gives Jesus, gets Jesus in trouble when he's in Nazareth, when they want to throw him over the cliff. Because when he says, I'm announcing good news to the poor, releasing captives, they want to kill him. Because if it's not true, it's a blasphemous statement. Yeah, you can understand why Jewish people who are congenitally opposed to worshiping anything less than God have trouble thinking of God as his carpenter's son, which is what the incarnation is about, right? It's we celebrate Christmas, that God isn't up on a mountaintop, but he dwells with us. He lives amongst us. And so when Jesus points to the prophets of the Old Testament and says, if you believe they spoke for God, then look at what I do. That's important when we're thinking about how Eddie's wife answered those questions. So considering Jesus's answer to John the Baptist, how would you answer those three questions that Eddie's wife answered? Do you remember what the questions were? The first question was, who are the three most important persons alive in the world today? She said, my husband, Oprah, and the Pope. But doesn't that treat God like he's dead? that he's not in the world? Because if you believe that God was in the world, that he dwells amongst us in the Eucharist and in his word, and in the answer to our prayers, you'd answer that the three most important persons alive in the world today are the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. To see created things taking their proper place in relationship with God is the gift of faith because then you don't fall for what uh, the problem is with Eddie's wife in the second question, which is, name the persons you turn to first for advice and help when you have problems in each of the following areas of your life. Mental health, she said, Nina, marriage, money, sex, family, work, and career, it's all on poor Eddie's shoulders. You know, doctors can heal us. I hope your spouse is a wonderful support to you, your parents, your friends, your family. Oprah, perhaps she inspires you. And the Pope certainly encourages you in faith and keeps us all hopefully online. But the scriptures say, and I refer to Paul's letter to the Philippians, chapter four, verse 19. My God will fully supply whatever you need in accord with his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. Because... Doctors, as skilled as they are, fail. Spouses can't always deliver. Oprah's not the source of wisdom. And the Pope, he is a witness simply who, to who Christ is in the world. That their fundamental turn for help is always to the Lord. That help may come through a spouse, or some wise person. It may come to us in healing at the hands of a skilled doctor, but it's seeing the source of all things in God. Do you remember the final two questions that were asked? The questions that Dr. Kreef says, pull it all together. The two questions were, what was the last command of the last apostle? And what is the most frequently disobeyed commandment? Here's the answer, and it's from 1 John 5, verses 20 to 21. Remember, Eddie's wife left it blank. But here's what Scripture says. We also know the Son of God has come and has given us discernment to know the one who is true. And we are in the one who is true. In his Son, Jesus Christ, he is the true God in eternal life. Children, be on your guard against idols think about her answers, which I thought were sincere and innocent, but betrayed kind of a lack of understanding about looking at the world. She really expects a lot out of the Pope, Nina, Eddie, and Oprah. Things maybe only, no, things for sure only God can deliver. God has given us one another to support each other, to love each other, we're supposed to love our neighbor which means we're drawn to love the people on the border. We're drawn to support our families. We're drawn to be the image of God in uh, these people's lives. But we are not God. They are not God. There's only one God. This week, when you're thinking about preparing for Christmas, remember how easy it is to feel alone and to drift into making idols of created things things that you rely on for happiness uh, happiness a joy um, a security that only god can deliver like an anchor on the bottom of the ocean you may be getting tossed around this christmas in your little boat but as long as it's tied to the anchor you're really not going anywhere so on monday uh, our parish is having a penance service starts at 5 30 this monday and you're all welcome to come uh, clear the deck, so to speak, to welcome this uh, great celebration of the birth of our Lord. The second thing you ought to consider is uh, go to the parish website, find this homily in the homily notes, download the readings for this week and the exercise in Lectio Divina, which is the prayerful encounter with God in his presence and scriptures, and ask God to show you your life if you want to see it. And maybe where things are a little out of whack might help you prepare for your confession uh, on Monday. And until then, remember this poem by St. John Paul II. This is John Paul's poem, The Source. The undulating wood slopes down to the rhythm of mountain streams. If you want to find the source, you have to go up against the current. Break through, search, don't yield. You know it must be here somewhere. Where are you? Source, where are you? Silence, stream, woodland stream. Tell me the secret of your origin. Silence, why are you silent? With what care you have hidden the mystery of your origin. Let me wet my lips in spring water to feel its freshness, its life-giving freshness. This has once again been a podcast from Oral Valley Catholic, the source of all things Catholic in Oral Valley. If you don't consider it, the source is really God. That's why when you come to St. Mark Parish, you're looking for the source, you want to encounter the source, you want to meet God.